you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube. You can turn over to John chapter 8. We are going to begin there for sure. Um, So I've got about three different ways that this could go today. And usually by now I'm pretty certain of them. I know where to start. That's about all I know today. So uh, we're just going to take it from there. So let's pray together. Father, Lord, we look to you right now. And Holy Spirit, we look to you to, to open the word to us, to reveal the scripture to every one of us, to speak the things that you want to speak into our heart. Lord, these are all, these are powerful verses, Lord, as all of them are. And there's life in them. And we want to receive the life from them. And so we set our hearts and we set our minds. We take them off of everything else and we give ourselves to you. So Holy Spirit, speak to each individual and we thank you for it in advance. We believe we'll receive equipping this morning as we're here in your word. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, last week um, we were in John chapter 8 looking at some of these verses. If you weren't here, um, I would really recommend you get that, go get the podcast or watch the video or whatever. We covered a lot of things that we're not going to go back to today. But I did want to begin here again. And I said this to you last week, that this incident in this chapter of Jesus uh, encountering this woman who was caught in the act of adultery and how he handled the Pharisees, how he handled her, what he did. It's one of the best illustrations that we have of the difference between a life under law and a life under grace. And the, the, under the old covenant, people lived under law. They lived under God's law and then human law that was added to that. Okay? Jesus came, he paid, for, he paid the price for sin, he fulfilled the law and the prophets, and we move into the New Testament after the Holy Spirit is poured out in the book of Acts and Life changes dramatically. Our covenant changed dramatically. We live, the Bible says, under a new covenant with better promises, a better covenant with better promises. We have this wide open access through Jesus Christ to intimate relationship with God. People prior to that, uh, well, until back to the garden was the last time that people had had that type of wide open access before sin entered into the earth and interrupted the relationship that God always wanted with people. So we, we live in an incredibly privileged time spiritually, and we should never, ever take it for granted. But we can still, and the Bible's very clear, and if you, especially Paul really addressed this, he addressed it many places, but in the book of Galatians, he spent the whole time talking to people about not going back under law. And what I mean by that is any religious system of rule keeping, any religious system where your relationship with God, your acceptance with God becomes based on your behavior alone rather than based on faith in the Lord. And while behavior is important, behavior needs to be the result of what the Holy Spirit is doing on the inside of us. God has made a way for us to live a holy life, grow in holiness, grow uh, in him and become increasingly more and more like him. He's made a way for us to do that from the inside out rather than just put, trying to put on right behavior. Okay, so... The scripture is clear that we can, if we're not careful, and I think we have this tendency as human beings, we can begin to go back and depend on our self-effort instead of the grace of God for our acceptance with him, for our relationship with him. And so, but in this, in this passage, I'm, we're just going to read down through it again. 
uh, in John chapter 8, beginning with verse 3. It says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Many of your translations say caught in the act of adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Okay, just a few things. We said last week, I gave you a little list. We're not going to go back through all that. But we said that legalism or law always brings people, it'll bring people into one of two things. It'll bring people into shame because you can't measure up to the, to the legal standards that you're being presented with. Do all the do's and don't all the don'ts. And, and Jesus even made it clear that it begins with the attitudes of our heart. That it's not just, for example, he says, you've heard it said, don't murder, right? That was under the old covenant. That was the law, don't murder. Well, that's a good law, okay? We have that law, by the way. Uh, do not murder, but he said, if you stay angry with your brother, it's the same as as murder okay so god looks at the heart and one of the purposes of the law and old, of the old testament was to show us that there was no way that we could on our own without an intercessor without a messiah without jesus christ there was no way we could keep the law up to god's standards that was part of the reason for the whole old testament so that people would realize i need a savior i mean how many of you have realized you need a savior am i the only one i need a savior i need him every day so so here you know legalism they brought this woman and again, we already said that in both Leviticus and Deuteronomy, where this, these laws were found, both the man and the woman were supposed to be brought, not just the woman. This whole thing was a farce. This whole thing, it was set up as a trap for Jesus. How did they catch this woman in the act of adultery? What were you guys doing in the first place? I believe, this is my personal belief, I think it was a setup from the beginning. I think they set this whole thing up knowing what was going to happen, maybe even setting up what was going to happen so they could catch her, bring her in, leave the man who might have been one of their group or somebody they sent in. I don't know. That's all speculation. But this is not the way, even under the law, it wasn't supposed to happen like this. This whole thing, the, the whole motivation behind it was wrong, okay? But the point is that legalism, and I, I kind of got distracted there, either it brings us into shame, all right? And remember, shame is different than guilt. Sometimes we feel guilt. We feel conviction. We like that word, and it's a good word. We feel conviction from the Holy Spirit. He says, your behavior was wrong. I, I need it to change. And that conviction of the Holy Spirit is for our good. It comes with love, but it, but it's, it also comes with truth. Your behavior is not pleasing to me. And then he will step right in with grace and empower you to change that behavior when we repent. Repentance means we, we change our thinking. We agree with God. We, whatever it was we were doing, we were in disagreement with what God says about what's right and wrong. We change our mind. Generally, we feel sorrow about the sin. If we have any sensitivity to the Holy Spirit because we grieved him, we feel sorrow about it. And, and we ask forgiveness and we ask his help and we turn. It means to turn 180 degrees, to turn away from sin, turn toward God, to turn away from anger or fear or, or lust or greed or, you know, whatever the sin might be and turn our back on that and turn toward God. It's not just saying we're sorry and then going on doing the same thing, not making any changes. We're not, we don't have to make the changes on our own. Repentance invites the Holy Spirit's work into our life. Repentance is a gift. 
How we ever got thinking repentance was a bad thing. You know, I don't want to feel bad. Well, (laughs) sometimes we need to feel bad for a moment so that we can invite the Holy Spirit in to change that area of our life. And the reason he wants to change that area of our life is because the New Testament tells us that the wages of sin is still death. The wages of sin, sin will bring destructive, decaying, stuff into our life, into our relationships, into our thinking, into our financial life, into our work life, into whatever it is, sin brings decay. I just had a conversation with somebody the other day that was asked, they were talking about the weather and talking about how they've been getting, this is up uh, somewhere else, they've been getting so much rain, you know, and the guys are trying to get their hay in and, and you know, just kind of like, why does why does this happen? Why isn't everything just work, you know, in the earth real easily for agriculture. And I said, well, Genesis, you know, I mean, this person's a Christian. I said, because of the curse in the earth, because of the, you know, he said, you're going to, childbirth's going to be really hard and you're going to have to, by the sweat of your brow, bring fruit out of the ground. It's going to be hard now because sin entered into the earth. It wasn't the way God created. He was kind of saying, why does God do this? It's like God didn't do that. God created a garden that produced, okay? We brought sin in, which brings decay. It, it just does. So when we bring sin into any area of our life and we don't allow the Holy Spirit to move us into repentance, then we can expect, we just read in Galatians, we're sowing bad seed there, okay? We can expect that. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so, so but shame is different. Shame addresses identity. It doesn't just say, you're my child, but that behavior is not reflecting my nature. It doesn't just say that. It says, you are worthless, you are broken, you will never produce anything. That's shame, okay? And most of us have felt shame at some place in our life. Well, or, or, I'm still trying to finish the first sentence that I started with here. Or, law will either produce shame because we can't meet the standard, or, It'll produce pride if we think we can meet the standard. If we start comparing ourselves with other people and saying, well, I, I may not be perfect, but I'm a lot better than she is, I'll tell you what. You know, or, or we start feeling like, no, I, I was in church this many times. I read my Bible this much. I went out of my way to be nice to this person over here. Whatever it might be, whatever little things we're adding up on our little tally board. Yeah, I've got my little sin list over here, but look at all the good things I've done. When you're living like that, that's living under law. And the truth is, you will never make up for this inside. You never will. First of all, oh man, I didn't intend to go this way at all. First of all, because we're born with a sin nature. So it's not even just, even that is not about just behavior. The sin that we do was a result of the nature that we were born with. You don't have to teach your three-year-old how to be mean to their little sister, do you? Oh, not my child, not your child, I understand. But somebody, think of somebody else's little darling, okay? Okay. And think of some of their behavior. You don't have to teach your three-year-old to share. I mean, you do have to teach them to share. You don't have to teach them to withhold from their little brother or sister. Why is that? Because we're born with a sin nature, okay? And that's why we need, ultimately, that's why we need a Savior, because we are born into the nature of sin. And so when we come to Jesus and we give our life to Jesus and we accept the salvation that he brought on the cross, his blood, removing our sin, then our nature is changed. When we get saved, we don't just try harder to be good people. We get saved. We get delivered. We get set free. We become a new creature in Christ. We become children of Almighty God. And, and so this whole transformation happens in us. So, so we have all those issues that go on. But if law, if we try to live under law, we're either going to fall into shame. I can never make it. I'm just no good. Or we're going to fall into pride. Hey, look how well I'm doing. Both of them, neither of those are where God wants us to be. God wants us to live in humility, but knowing who we are in Christ with a solid knowledge of who we are in Christ. And let me just say this. 
we don't talk a ton. I mean, we talk about sin. We're not embarrassed to talk about sin. I talked about it quite a bit last week. We don't focus on it all the time because we can become, as people, we can become sin conscious. We can become people who are so wrapped up in our sin that we forget who we are. The way out of the, our sin, whatever it might be, the way out is to know who you are in Christ and know that you have on your worst day, you are still the righteousness of God in Christ. You have a right relationship with God in Christ because of his blood. You are still a child of God. You are still loved of God. You are still accepted by God. He might not like my behavior today, but he loves me. And that means I can stay in that relationship. I can immerse myself in him. I can plunge into him. I can be saturated with the spirit of God. And in his grace, I find the power and the ability to overcome whatever that sin might be. All right. So I said all of that to point out that here's here's law at work. They bring this woman and make her stand in the middle of, of a bunch of strangers, okay? This wasn't even, you know, if this had happened in Capernaum or this had happened somewhere really small, you know, it would have been her friends and neighbors, which would have been bad enough. But they bring her into this and they and that's exactly what law wants to do. It wants to come in and just bring shame into your life. And you'll notice at the end of this that when Jesus deals with her, he first deals with the lawyers, okay? He first deals with the legalists. And he, he gets them straightened out. And they all leave. And then when it's just him and her, that's when he starts to address her sin. And he does address her sin. He doesn't just sweep it under the rug. He doesn't pretend it didn't happen. He doesn't affirm it. He doesn't pretend it's okay. He doesn't say, hey, we're going to celebrate your adultery. You know, you're just, this is, this is your truth. This is who you are. God made you this way. God made you an adulteress. And God doesn't make any mistakes. God built you this way. That, how do you say that in church? That's a bunch of baloney. Okay, we'll say that. That's a bunch of baloney. That is a message that is pushed by our culture over and over. Well, God didn't make any mistakes. No, God didn't. But man did. God didn't. I had that conversation with somebody recently. They were saying, well, if, they were, if he was born this way, then he wasn't born that way. Sin entered in. Somewhere along the way, believed messages that weren't true. He believed lies from the devil that weren't true. And pretty soon, he believed them so long, they sounded like his, his truth. <laughs> they sounded like his voice, okay? He wasn't made that way. People weren't made you know, you can think of anything in this earth that isn't, you know, God didn't make weather that doesn't produce crops. Sin entered in and messed up what God made. God didn't make sickness and disease. God didn't cause children to be born missing limbs. God didn't do that. That's the result of sin in the earth. Not necessarily somebody's personal sin, but just the sin condition in the earth. Am I making any sense? Okay, well, that's good. Um, so they brought her in and they brought that. They used shame. Law will use shame. And we should always reject shame. We accept conviction, but know the difference between the two. We definitely accept, we should accept conviction. Conviction from the Holy Spirit is for our good. Conviction from the Holy Spirit is there to bring us into greater life. But shame is just there to try and drive a wedge between you and the Lord. Does that make sense to you? So they tried to use shame. Jesus waited till it was just him and her. And then he told her the truth. He dealt with her. He didn't let it go. He dealt with her. But he waited until it was private. And that's just something, that's a good principle for us to know when we're trying to help friends and neighbors and people that are struggling with something in their life. That's why Jesus told us, even under the, with offense, right? When we're, having, we're offended by somebody or we're offended with somebody. He said, first you go by yourself 
and talk to them and try to restore the relationship. That's a protection of somebody's dignity. We are not there. It is not our role to expose, even if we're aware of somebody's sin, and it is sin. I told you last week, there's nothing in the New Testament that says Christians shouldn't know right from wrong and good from evil and be just fine with with declaring it. I, I'm not talking about putting it on Facebook and exposing. So that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about us having a stand for a biblical moral standard. Okay. A biblical worldview recognizes sin. In fact, this is even weirder than I expected today to be. So when we have a biblical worldview, here's one of the issues that comes up all the time in our culture. Well, if you say that someone's behavior, their lifestyle, whether it's, whether it's addiction or homosexuality or adultery or fornication or any, you know, any type of sin, almost any type of sin, if, if you're okay with saying that's sin, okay? The reason we say that as Christians is because, number one, we believe the Word of God. And the word of God, God gets to decide what's sin and what's not. We just agree with it, okay? Number two, we have a biblical worldview of love. And love is not, it is not love. It is the opposite of love to affirm, embrace, celebrate a sin lifestyle that is going to bring destruction into somebody's life. How can that be love? It's just like, oh, I just, you know, I'm going to celebrate the fact that Jamie's decided to just drink a couple ounces of bleach every day. You know, she's, she's just decided to just drink a little poison every day, you know. And, and yeah, I, I see what's happening there. But, you know, I love her, so I'm just going to affirm that. We're going to celebrate that. It's so wonderful. That's, who, that's how God made you. No, it's not. And it is not love to affirm someone's sin. It just isn't. And the reason that we have this problem between us and the world is because they've redefined the word love from what the scripture says. Okay, so, so for them, love means just being kind to everyone, no matter what they're into, no matter what they're doing. I'm just gonna, I, I love them, so I'm just gonna celebrate what they're doing. Well, that's not love. And we can't pretend it is. That is not love. That isn't what God did with us. He didn't send Jesus just to say, you know what? God loves you guys. Nothing needs to change. You're cool. I'm not going to go to the cross. You don't need any. You're, you're fine. It's all going to be fine. That's not what Jesus came to do. He suffered and died to defeat the power of sin over our lives to eradicate its power to dominate us because he couldn't stand to see his children in that bondage, even though it was all our fault, is what we did. So don't be apologetic about that. You're standing on truth when you're defining love as if you're agreeing with the scripture, if you're agreeing that agape love means laying your life down for somebody else's good. So we'll lay our reputation down. We will lay our need to be liked by everyone down in order to lift others up. That also doesn't leave any place for us to just be ugly and mean. Toward, that's, that's not the deal. But don't be, you know, we get intimidated because somebody says, oh, you're hateful. Oh, you're a bigot. Oh, you're whatever. No, I'm not. I'm just not. And if you had any idea of my history and the people that I've loved and I've ministered to and I've even taken into my home and that kind of thing, you couldn't say that. You might say that, but you couldn't say that. That is just a lie. And you telling me that doesn't mean anything to me because I will not stand before you. I will not stand before this culture. I will not stand before the screaming voices at the end of my life. I will stand before Jesus Christ and I'm here to please him. But, okay, we are not to be angry and ugly. If you are bigoted, stop it. If you feel hatred towards somebody because of a sin lifestyle, you better get that straightened out because that's not who we are supposed to be. But we're not going to, I'm not going with the redefinition of what hate is. That's just, <laughs> you guys okay? 
I'm getting all this off my chest, you know, hopefully God's in some of it. Um, anyway, where were we? Jesus, oh, that was where we were. Jesus dealt with her in private. So seriously, when, I mean, this is just a good key for us. If you're going to minister to somebody, protect their dignity. If you're going to, if you're going to have to confront somebody or try to get them to open up to you and hear what you're going to say, go to them in private. Go to them in private, at least first. But if you're going to take somebody else, when you take somebody else, be sure it's somebody who loves them. Be sure it's somebody. We are, God is always seeking redemption and restoration, and he never stops. Even if your attempts are rejected, he will not stop. So you keep interceding for them. You keep praying for them. You keep acting in love toward them. But you can have boundaries in your life and in your home. I had this discussion with somebody just this week. They were concerned because there was there was there were people visiting and and there was there were things going on they didn't want to bring into their home. They didn't want that spiritual atmosphere in their home, but they didn't want the people to think they didn't love them either because they do. Okay? That's a that's a tough one sometimes for us and we have to pray those through and we have to use wisdom. And there's sometimes where you'll feel just fine. You'll have a peace about allowing whatever that is into your home temporarily. There'll be other times where you'll have to say no. Listen, I love you. I want to spend time with you, but you know what? You'll you'll just need to I'll help you find a motel room where you know, uh, I I'm I'm not comfortable with this being in my home. We got to take that stand sometimes. The scripture in no place in the New Testament tells us that we cannot have boundaries in our life. You don't have to invite everything in. You don't have to go to every movie with people. You don't have to like all their jokes. You don't have to participate in all of that stuff. You don't have to do that. We are supposed to be different from the world. We are supposed to be different from the world. We're just not supposed to be mean. So don't be mean, okay? You getting anything out of this? This is very interesting. I'm trying to figure out where we are going. Um, so Jesus dealt with her that way. And uh, he talked to the legalists and said, look, you know, unless you're perfect, don't be picking up stones to throw. Okay. But that, again, that doesn't mean you can't have boundaries. Because here's the, here's the quote. Again, these are just things that all of us deal with all the time. People say, well, you can't have an opinion about that because you're a sinner too. I do commit sin from time to time. Absolutely. What's the difference? Number one, I am not a sinner. I probably wouldn't have this argument with somebody, but I am not a sinner by nature. I am a child of God by nature. When I sin, I am acting contrary to my nature, to the nature that God has put in me. And I do it sometimes. What's the difference? I meet my sin with repentance. I accept conviction from the Lord. I do not justify my sin. I do not pretend it's okay. I do not get comfortable with it and say, hey, this is just the way it is. It's just how I am. I'm just going to live this way. I'm not doing that. Even if I'm really struggling with something, I'm going to struggle with it to the day I die. I am not going to make a covenant with sin. I'm not going to make a covenant with a lie that I know is coming from the devil. I'm not going to do that, okay? So the difference is, in some of those situations, yeah, you know, oh, well, you're a sinner. You can't say anything. No, I can say something because I'm trying to help this person. And yeah, I commit sin too, but I meet it with repentance. Okay, I meet it by embracing what God has. And I believe that the grace of God will bring me out of that sin. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so it's just one of those, some of those little tactics that we run into in these discussions culturally all the time. You just got to pray them through and think them through. And, and you can meet those different discussions. We don't have to hide from those discussions. All that, all that one is, well, you're a sinner. You can't say anything. That's just the accuser of the brethren trying to intimidate you from releasing truth into somebody's life. That's, that's all that is. And, you know, we know where he's headed. So we aren't, we aren't worried about that. Okay, does this make sense? All right, so let me go back to this. We've only got a few minutes left, and I haven't really gotten to my first point today. So um, this is such a great example, this whole exchange with Jesus between grace and law. They came with law under the law of Moses, and it was true. She and the man were to be stoned under the law of Moses. 
Jesus, we said this real emphatically last week, Jesus came to insert grace between sin and judgment. That's what he came to do. He came to bring, we saw it in John 1.17 last week, to bring truth wrapped in tender mercy. Truth wrapped in tender mercy. He came to insert grace. In the Old Testament, we say sin, judgment, sin, judgment, sin, judgment. Jesus came to insert grace. Grace does not sweep sin under the rug. Grace does not affirm sin. Grace does not pretend sin is good. Grace empowers righteousness. Grace empowers the believer to become free from sin. Grace is the power of God, the divine power of God, freely given to us to overcome sin in our lives. All right. So you and I will never overcome sin in our lives with law. Okay. We will never overcome sin with law. Romans chapter eight, verse three from the Amplified Bible says it this way, says for what the law could not do. Okay. What do we mean by law? We mean the Ten Commandments, the rest of the commandments that God gave as an extension of the Ten Commandments, okay? He gave to Israel, he gave, he gave commandments that were moral in nature. Those have never changed, okay? Don't murder, worship God, don't steal, don't commit adultery, those kinds of things. He gave moral law. That's never changed. That's an embodiment of his nature. It's an example of his holiness. That's what that is. Still the same. Jesus fulfilled that law, walked in that law, completely fulfilled it, but he didn't erase it. It's not gone. We just don't have to live it as law anymore. We live it by the Spirit of God, okay? By the Spirit within us. So he gave them that type of law. He gave them social laws, that were partly to keep them safe, partly to keep them from getting sick, some of those social laws. Some of those social laws, which also get thrown in our face, um, were just there to make them different. They were a peculiar people. They were a unique nation in the earth, Israel, before Jesus came. They were a unique nation. You know, So you couldn't weave different kinds of fabric together. You couldn't do some of those different things. And those types of laws, those were social laws. And the New Testament makes clear that those passed away at the cross. We, are not, we don't have to live under those social laws anymore. Um, and then there were laws for worship. There were laws of sacrifice. There are all those things. Well, Jesus fulfilled those. We don't live under those anymore either. But it's, again, Romans chapter 8, it says, For what the law could not do, that is, overcome sin and remove its penalty and its power. So the law could not do that. It couldn't overcome sin. It couldn't remove its penalty. It couldn't remove its power. What law could not do, being weakened by the flesh. What does that mean? It means what law, law stands before us and says, okay, live up to me. Live up to this standard on your own. You do it, okay? You decide to drive the speed limit. Yeah, I'm just coming to natural law now, right? You decide not to rob a grocery store. You decide not to do that's law, okay? And and so law stands and says, here's the standard. You live up to it. All right? So it was weakened, God's law was weakened by the flesh because our flesh couldn't do it without God. This term flesh in the New Testament means you know, human nature apart from the Holy Spirit, apart from the help of the Holy Spirit, just our natural human nature, we're going to fail to keep God's standard, all right? Law did not have the power to undo it. You with me so far? Okay, so law was weakened by the flesh, man's nature without the Holy Spirit. What, what the law could not do, God did, it says. Romans chapter 8, verse 3, God did it. He sent his own son in the likeness of sinful man as an offering for sin, and he condemned sin in the flesh. He subdued it. He overcame it in the person of his own son. All right. Romans chapter 7, verse 5 tells us that law, rule keeping, actually arouses sin in the flesh. And the example I always use is you see the 55 mile an hour sign and you go, 
I wonder if I can go 58. I wonder if I could go 60. I wonder what I can get away with. How much of that do I really have to do? What, you know, what, what of that, where's the line? Where's the line I really can't cross? That's law arousing sin, disobedience in the flesh, okay? When, when we were separated from God through sin, this is just something that happened in human nature, okay? And we all have it in one way or another. We all have it, okay? So when we go back, come back to your own life, something you struggle with, something I struggle with. When we try to address that sin with law, well, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to buckle down and I'm going to do this because it will, it will, especially if our motivation is, it will make me more acceptable to God. I, I've got to do this. I've, I've just, I got to do this. God's not going to answer my prayer until I do this. God's not going to talk to me until I do this. This thing's going wrong in my life. And, and until I get this right, just know God's not going to change that. I'm not going to get breakthrough until I get this thing right in my life. The way we need to approach that is we do need to get into a place of obedience. We do need to overcome that sin. We should not sweep it under the rug. We could, should not say, well, Jesus died for me, so it's all okay. It's all going to be fine. No. Live a more victorious life than that. Live a more aggressive life than that in God. But what we do is we want to bring the grace of God and the spirit of God right into the middle of that situation. We want to move our dependence from our own ability to meet that standard. Instead, we want to begin to trust in God again. We want to, we want to know that, Lord, I have sinned in this area. And you know, God, I've been struggling with this area for a long time. I struggle with this area frequently, you know, and, and you know this, but I know that, yes, you do love me in this situation, that even though my behavior may be displeasing in this area, I know I am still a child of God. I know I'm washed in the blood of Jesus. I know that you have delivered me from sin. You have set me free. And Lord, I need your help to overcome this. I need your grace. Speak to me again. Bring your word alive in me because there's power in your word to raise me up so that I can live this from the inside out. If I am thinking about this wrong, if I am meditating on the wrong things, if I am thinking about the wrong things, if I am being drawn uh, aside because uh, I, I want to be popular with this group of people, whatever it might be, God, whatever I need, I trust you. You are my partner in overcoming this sin. You are not against me in this. I know it to be true. So lead me in your word. Give me your grace. And I commit to overcoming this, but I need your help to do it. My trust is in him. Okay, does this make sense? So I am turning back to grace because I don't deserve that but I don't have to deserve it because Jesus bought it for me. And because Jesus bought it for me, whatever he bought for you and I, it is ours. It is our inheritance. My inheritance is to live victorious over sin in my life. I will not go around just putting band-aids on things in my life for my whole life. I will not go around seeing myself as a victim, seeing myself as as an alcoholic, I was an alcoholic. I'm not an alcoholic anymore. I'm not going to stand up every week and say I'm an alcoholic. I am not an alcoholic. I haven't been an alcoholic for 40 years or something, or whatever, how long it is. You know, I haven't been there. I haven't been involved in that. I don't have any temptation in that. Jesus delivered me from that. Now, if something, okay, that's, man, I had a lot more slides and good stuff, but we'll just jump ahead because we only got a couple minutes. So, Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says, it is for freedom, it is for freedom that Christ has set me free, okay? It is for freedom. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 17 and 18 says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And that as I spend time in that freedom. I spend time in communion with the Spirit of the Lord. I am being changed from one degree of glory to another. There is a, there is a way there as I am connecting with the Lord, as I'm meditating on his word, as I'm feeding on him and living in him. This is why righteousness is so important. Righteousness is that open access to him. It is something he has given to me. And as I'm doing that, I'm being energized on the inside and I'm becoming a different person. I'm getting over this stuff, okay? 
the only way that law can be useful, I believe, to the Christian, and you may disagree with this, if, you, if you're going to err, don't use law at all, okay? I don't think it's a problem, and I shouldn't even call it law. We do need to discipline our flesh. We do need from time to time to put our body in boot camp and say, no, you're not eating any more of Barb's brownies today. I don't care how good they are. There'll be more brownies someday, okay? When you lose 20 pounds, then you can have another Barb's brownie, okay? There are times where we need to discipline our, f- our flesh, but we can't let our trust move to what we can do in our own ability. We've got to keep our trust in Jesus and what he did at the cross. And that can be very practical. I know that can sound like, oh, you know, my trust is in Jesus. No, I'm talking about you get with Jesus and you obey the steps the Holy Spirit gives you and you receive the life in his word that will empower you. It will empower righteousness in your life. Grace empowers righteousness and you receive that. So it says over there in Galatians 5.1, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. That means a couple things. God loves freedom, okay? He didn't design you to be a slave. Adam and Eve were not slaves in the garden. Obviously, they were given free will. It also says down that, uh, farther down in Galatians chapter five, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Use your freedom to press into the spirit, okay? But, We were made for freedom. It is for freedom. So when Jesus sets you free, he doesn't just set you free so you can go do whatever you want. That's that's another one of those words that has been taken by the world and made to mean something completely different. Freedom doesn't mean living in total selfishness. Not in the Bible, it doesn't. Freedom means I am no longer living under rules and law. I am living... I am living out the spirit of those rules and law from the inside. I'm living by the desires that the Holy Spirit builds on the inside of me. I'm getting more and more and more free. I'm not having to be regulated by everything because the Holy Spirit is walking with me on the inside. When Jesus sets us free from something, he also sets us free to something. When he sets us free, it is for freedom that he set me free. There is a purpose to him setting me free. So in every area and in every instance, as I walk for the rest of my life, growing in freedom in him, as I do that for the rest of my life, he is setting me free from sin so that I can be a greater reflection of him in the earth. He is setting me free from legalism and law so that I can live in this incredible relationship with him. He is setting me free from anything that would bind me so that I can find and fulfill his divine purpose for my life. He is setting us free from something, but if we think that's it, okay, now I'm free. Now what? No, no, he is setting you free from something and to something, and it's always to. Just glory to glory to glory to glory. Does that make sense? He loves the freedom. He loves the freedom. I have 15 seconds left. Can I take about five more minutes? I'm going to, so that's the way that goes. All right, jump with me to uh, John 8, verses 31 and 32, because this makes this point that I'm struggling to make here so well. All right. And you know these verses, but let's dig them a little bit. John chapter 8, verses 31, 32. It says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him. Okay, these are the ones that did believe in him. All right. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth. The idea, many of your translations right there say, then you shall know the truth. The idea there is, and in that environment of abiding in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Okay, just a couple quick paragraphs on that. This idea of abiding in his word. All right, if you abide in my word, that's being my disciple. That's being my apprentice. That's what that looks like, okay? You say you're a Jesus follower. What does that look like? You abide in his word. We've studied it a thousand times. That word abide means to continually make the word your primary dwelling. It is your primary dwelling. It's not your second, third, fourth home that you go to once a year. It's not the quick stop. It's not uh, someplace you visit sometimes. It's nice. It's none of that. The word of God is your primary dwelling. I live in it. 
Okay? I'm going to live in the word of God. That word translated word right there is the Greek word logos, which describes the whole counsel of God. It is the big overview. Okay? So, wow, I'm supposed to make my primary dwelling in the big overview, all of his principles. Well, I can't do that in one week. Okay, so this is a lifetime deal that I'm going to make. I'm just going to keep pressing into the word of God. I'm just going to keep knowing his principles more and more. I'm going to become more and more and more familiar with his nature, with his purposes, with his ways, which all the things that the word communicates to me. I'm going to do that by meditating on his word, Joshua 1.8. Psalm chapter 1, I'm going to revolve that word in my mind day and night. I'm just going to keep it rolling on the inside of me. I'm going to think on it. I'm going to chew on it. I'm going to pray over it. I'm going to do that by hearing and applying, hearing and applying, hearing and applying. Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to hear and I'm going to do. I'm going to hear and I'm going to apply. I'm going to, I'm going to hear and I'm going to say, okay, Lord, how do I apply that to what's going on at work? How do I apply, how do I apply that principle with my husband, with my wife, with my children? How do I apply that principle? And I'm going to do that my whole life. So I'm going to be increasing and increasing and increasing within an understanding of God's word in application. You ever notice how you get more and more familiar with something as you do it, maybe a tool, you know, and you use it a few times. Oh, now I get how that works. It's the same thing with the word of God. All right. So He says, then in that environment, so I'm walking along, I'm knowing the word, I'm applying the word, okay? He says, you will know the truth. And we've we've said many times, truth is heaven's reality. Truth is reality as God sees it and has defined it. That's what truth means in the Bible. It's not the my truth, your truth, whatever truth. It's not that. It is what God has defined as how life works, who he is, that kind of thing. So what I wanted to get to is he says, In that environment, you will know the truth. This is an interesting word for know. There's a number of them in Greek. This word for know means to begin to know. Okay, so it's something I've discovered. It's the beginning of knowledge. And simultaneously, it's a completed knowledge. Well, how does that work? Because God doesn't live in time, okay? This is is one of those things that God throws at us and he says, you're just going to have to trust me. I'm going to bring you brand new knowledge. So I believe that means continuously growing in revelation after revelation, after little nuance after nuance of how to walk in the word as I apply it. And I say, oh, I see how that worked and how this worked. So there's that newness, there's that freshness, there's that continual revelation of truth to us. And at the same time, we're getting a more, an increasingly complete knowledge of the truth because we're applying it and we're seeing it work. We're applying it over here. We're seeing it work, applying it over here. And it took five years, but then it worked. You know, we're doing all of that. And so we're growing. So we're having, so Jesus is saying, you will have this experience with the truth. You'll have this continual beginning of knowledge and at simultaneously, one-on-one, you're going to have this complete continuous arrival at full knowledge. And then when we arrive at full knowledge, he'll open up the word and we'll see another new knowledge from it. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's just, that's just in, incredible to me. So that's the result of abiding in the word is we begin to look at our life in this biblical worldview. We begin to see it. We begin to walk in it. And he says, as we're walking in that whole thing, what happens? We increase in freedom. We grow in freedom. Less and less are we having to be regulated from the outside. Now life is just flowing from the inside and we're becoming more and more like him. We're looking more and more like him. Does this make sense to you? Oh, that was a great verse. There's there's a number of great verses in the Bible. Have you ever noticed that? All right, thank you for being so patient. Let's stand up and pray this morning. I hope you got something out of this. I know you did. I know you did. Thank you, Lord. Father, your word is just so awesome. It's, it's just so awesome. And your, uh, what you've done for us and, and your purpose for us is so high. It's so much higher than most of us ever grab hold of. 
your purpose for us, Lord, even when you're addressing sin in our life, Lord, that, God, that's for our good. And I hope every one of us, I pray that every one of us know that. Every time we sense conviction from our partner, the Holy Spirit, the one who is walking along through life with us and never leaves us, never forsakes us, always there, our, our discipler, our trainer, our coach, our teacher, the Holy Spirit. Every time we feel conviction, Lord, help us to just realize, wow, I'm going to embrace that because there's life right there. The Lord's trying to bring me into more life, more glory, more good stuff. Lord, help us to have that attitude. And Father, as far as all these nuances of how to interface with our society and interface with others and love them like you would love them, we just have to ask for wisdom. We just have to ask that ongoing coaching of the Holy Spirit to know what to say, when to say nothing, how to serve, what to do, We just have to ask, and we have to ask every day, and so we do. And we thank you, Father. We want to be people that interface with with the world and make a difference. We want to bring people to Jesus. We want to represent you well. God, we want to be pleasing to you on this earth. And Lord, we absolutely need 100% your help in doing that. But we thank you for it, Father. We are your church. We are your people. We believe you give us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to minister to people in this earth. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. All right. Awesome. Good to see you. Good to see everybody else too. He was unexpected. All right. We're going to go out there. You know the drill. There's lots of snacks. I hope you'll hang around a bit if you can. And Uh, just love on one another and eat up those snacks unless the Lord's telling you not to. And uh, we're going to go out on the count of three and say, Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin in the world. Okay, one, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Go out there and be the church. You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org.